Today, Michaela and I invite Jade Savage to join us and tell us a little about her story. She is a mother of two young boys, an occupational therapist, a 4-H coach, a doula, and a birth photographer. She is a woman of all trades. Jade owns her own photography business, Jade Savage Photography, where she does birth, wedding, and rodeo photography. Through photographing births and also through her own birth experiences with her boys, Jade was drawn to become a doula, a woman who is hired to provide support, guidance, and a voice for a woman during labor and delivery. Michaela and I can't wait to discover more about Jade's story as we chat with her today. Welcome to the Horsewoman Project a podcast where we talk about all things horsewoman, from relationships to truck issues, taking care of your nutrition and fitness, and of course, horses. Happy Mother's Day to all of our listeners. Today we are bringing on Jade Savage because she has a pretty unique perspective of motherhood. Uh, She is a horsewoman, she's a doula, a birth photographer, and so many other things. So welcome, Jade. Thanks for coming on today. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So to get started, I just kind of want to go back to a little bit of the beginning of your story. So just tell us a little bit about how you grew up, um, you know, how horses were a part of your life and kind of how you got to where you are now. So I grew up where I live now, which is Richfield, Utah. Um, I've lived here my entire life other than a couple of years of going to school up in Salt Lake City and then wanted to get home as quick as possible because horses became life at about 11. Um, I begged like most little girls do for a horse and my dad thought it was a phase and I didn't grow out of it. So we ended up borrowing horses. And that turned into me eventually saving money, and I purchased my first horse. I probably wasn't very smart about it and purchased a horse that had no time in a saddle, and he had been a pet, so he was over-the-top friendly. So, of course, I fell in love with him when I met him, and he was a lot of work, but we made it through it, and I ended up queening on him, rodeoing on him, doing 4-H on him. He became everything to me and then he actually ended up with um side bone mm-hmm. and we ended up finding a better home for him where a little girl could ride him since my kids aren't quite to that point yet of riding a horse on their own and he loved being ridden and I couldn't quite put him out to pasture yet so he found a new home and I'm still into horses we just have more adult horses that are better for me and my husband now and Camry's helped us with them quite a bit and so our journeys just kind of changed from a little bit of rodeo not a ton of rodeo and competing to now I just teach 4-H because that's where my heart is 4-H is what gave me the confidence in horses since I didn't grow up around them and so now I teach kids and help them build that confidence as much as I can and then started into photography is probably what got me into doula work. Um, I just decided to buy a camera. We had some extra spending money. And that's what I decided I wanted was to take pictures, not for money or anything. Just let's take pictures and have nice pictures. And then um, I had my own babies, became a mom. And I could have really used some support. I had a husband that was super supportive, but 
it was our first child and we knew nothing. We thought we knew everything, of course, like everyone does. And we actually knew nothing and went through some of my own traumas that could have probably been helped if we would have had a doula. And so as I was taking pictures of births, as photography led into that, I decided that I wanted to help other moms experience a better birth than I did. And so, yeah, I started taking pictures of it and also helping them through it. And that's what led into motherhood and juggling horses. And yeah. That's awesome. So were you kind of a a photography geek growing up? Like, did you carry a camera around and want to take pictures or what was it that kind of got you started in that? Um, Not at all. Nothing (laughs) whatsoever. Just here I am spending money. Like that sounds so dumb, but my husband's a (laughs) firefighter. And if he goes out on certain calls, they get paid because he's volunteer for the city. But if they go on certain wildland calls, they actually get a paycheck. And so we get this paycheck and I'm like, I don't want anything. Like I have everything I want. Like material things just are not my thing. And it bugs him to death. And he, so he was just listing things. I was like, oh, my grandpa did photography. I wouldn't mind like taking some pictures to hang up around our house or maybe take pictures of the horses and different things. So he purchased it. And then I had a coworker actually getting married. And she's like, hey, I saw that you took some pictures of your sister-in-law because I had posted them. And she was like, you should do my wedding. I was like, whoa, (laughs) I've never taken pictures of anything. But she's like, I've been married before. It's not a huge deal. We just need some memories. So I ended up doing that. And she ended up paying me really good. They turned out okay. And she has horses. So that's what led into taking pictures of horses more. And then people would see her pictures and decided, hey, I like those. And they'd contact me and over the next year, I just randomly started taking pictures for people and they just had me cash afterwards because I didn't charge. And then it just grew into this. Oh my gosh, I love weddings. And I was like, what other big moments are in life I can take pictures of? And that led to birth and rodeos and yeah, just turned into a passion. YouTube University teaches you a lot because I have no <laughs> in photography. There you yeah. go. Well, it so, seems like you have quite a knack for it too, because she, you've taken photos of my clinics, and it's just amazing the, the way that you take photos and how they turn out. You know, some people aren't as naturally good at it and, and as you are. I feel like, like you just have a knack for it. So that's awesome. Well, thank you. Yeah, I've seen some of your pictures as well. I, they're beautiful. I'm really curious as to how you were drawn to like taking pictures of birds as well because like you know especially if you've had traumatic experiences sometimes people want to avoid those versus like push yourself into the situation and and document other people's journeys so I'm just really curious to hear like how you were drawn to that and how um maybe it's helped your journey as well as you've recovered from from all of that yeah so I'm actually in the medical field I do occupational therapy So everything medical has always intrigued me. And that has come from a very young age and wanting to be a therapist and work with people and help them get better from stuff. And so when I had my own baby, I hadn't done anyone else's birth. I'd never seen a birth or experienced it. But once I had done that, so my labor was beautiful. My labor was amazing. One of the best experiences of my life. And I wish I had pictures of it, which sounded so crazy at the time. Like, why would I want someone in there? 
taking pictures of me at my most vulnerable moment. But the few pictures that were taken with cell phones by my husband and my midwife, I adore and I cherish so much that I'm like, oh, I should do this for other people. And I would love to experience seeing someone else give birth. Like, this is so cool. And so, um, yeah, I just kind of put it out there that I was interested in that on social media and had a few clients that wanted pictures and I wasn't a doula at that time. I just went and as soon as they thought they were getting close, they would message me night or day and I'd show up and just take some pictures, kind of stand in the background, some videos. And then, yeah, it just turned into wanting to help more and do even more of it. And I've probably done close to just over 10 births now. That's awesome. So for our listeners that don't know what a doula is, do you want to explain what that is? <laughs> yes. So I didn't know what a doula was until I found out I needed one. Um, a doula is just someone that helps you emotionally, physically, and they educate you on the birth process. So I was thinking about it when we were, Camry asked me to do this podcast. I'm like, it's just like a horse trainer I or a personal trainer too. Um, I own horses, I eat food, I work out, but I can't take an objective look at myself. I can't be on the outside of that. So when I'm working my horse, I think I know what I'm doing, but then Camry's like, hey, did you notice you did this? She knows so much more about it than I do. And you go into birth not knowing as much. She might take a class, but just having that person that can coach you through it and help you see what maybe could make things better for you and help you get the best outcome that you want. That's what the doula does. They just help you through the process, help you get the birth that you want and they help advocate for you and yeah, make sure that there's not those traumas from it that shouldn't be there. There should never be trauma in birth, no matter what kind of birth you have, it should have a beautiful outcome for you. Yeah. Go ahead, Michaela. Yeah. Sorry. So I'm just curious, what is the difference between a midwife and a doula? Because I hear midwife and I kind of feel like, isn't that what a midwife does too? So what what's the difference between the two? That is an awesome question because I get so many messages asking if I will birth people's babies for them. So <laughs> I am not allowed to do anything medical. I cannot help birth the baby. I cannot tell you any recommendations of what you should or shouldn't do medically. I have nothing to do with the actual birth of the child. Everything for me is emotional support. It's helping you know what to expect, helping your spouse or support persons, your family know what to expect, what's normal, what's not normal. But no part of actually birthing the child would a doula help with. And that's something I have lots that are like, I'm not actually having a midwife or a doctor. Can you just come be a doula? And that's actually um, with the certification I went through, we have to have a professional that has a license present because of liability reasons. So there actually has to be a midwife, a doctor, an OB, someone else has to actually be present for that so that I wouldn't lose my license as a doula and bring a bad name upon the certification that helped me get certified because there's lots of places to get certified too. Yeah. Well, and I feel like it's an important distinction to make too with with midwives and OBGYNs and anyone like that that is a medical professional. 
that's their job is medical procedures, medical protocols, um, following hospital protocol if you're doing it in a hospital. And that's the one thing that I think is so amazing about doulas is that it's like you said, they do advocate for you as the mother, as a human being, and they advocate for your emotional state and and for your baby in other ways that aren't just procedure. Um, and I think both pieces of that are, you need both, you know, you need people there to support you in the medical side of things. And then you need that, that support system emotionally. So. So something else super unique to most doulas, there's lots of different kinds of doulas and everyone can run their business how they want. But I actually um, see my clients before, so they get prenatal from me. So I kind of can see where their norm is or how pregnancy is affecting them. So I can actually tell them what's normal there or how to cope with things that you don't necessarily want to call the doctor for. Like just little things like, oh, this is just kind of bugging me and then, of course, I'm usually there for the labor and then postpartum. So your doctor doesn't, or midwife, some do come into your home, but they don't necessarily see you in the state I see you. You're ready for them to come just check up on you medically. I'm there like, hey, like your dishes aren't done. Instead of being like a mom who's going to hold the baby for you while you do the dishes, I'm going to say, no, hold your baby, have baby time. Let me do your dishes. Like that's part of a doula. Like I'll start a batch of laundry for clients. I'll make phone calls if they need to family that maybe, hey, she's needing her mom over here for a little bit. Or like, that's also cool to follow them after and see them not necessarily at an appointment where they've done their hair and gotten ready. Like, in your home environment's very different. Maybe you just need a bottle warmed up or, I don't know, some tips and tricks to get them to sleep a little better. Some time to yourself. I will hold the baby if they need to go shower things like that. That's really cool. Um, how long do you stay with them postpartum? So um, there's different doulas. There's postpartum doulas that will actually stay. Like they'll do shifts. They'll come at night with you. There's some pretty cool TikToks on some cool doulas. I just do one visit. One before usually, unless they feel like they need more. I've never had anyone want more. And a lot of the times it's maternity pictures we're doing and we'll do like a doula session with that. And then I go for birth and then postpartum. Sometimes we do newborn pictures. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we just visit. So. That's cool that you can blend your two businesses together too. Like, hey, I'm I a doula and I can do your photography at the same time. It's awesome. Yeah, it's it's such a unique thing. Like, I don't, I haven't heard of another doula that is also a photographer. I think that's a really awesome combination of things there that you provide. It's so fun. I wish you were around when I was having my kids. <laughs> I wish I would have known, like, I went to classes with a few that I'm like, oh my gosh, I've had my babies, but I really wish I would have had you as a doula. So. So do you have, you have two kids? I do. All right. Two kids. So did you have a doula with your second? I know you said you did it with your first. So I had messaged a doula, but my labor was so quick with my second. I'm really lucky I even made it to the hospital. I had my baby five minutes after walking through the door and I didn't labor at home at all. I actually had complications that as soon as I knew I was in labor, I had to head straight to the hospital. So that baby's really lucky they weren't born in the car. Like I don't <laughs> even have pictures of my second birth and I had my camera and everything packed, 
ready to go. I told my mom what pictures I wanted, where I wanted her to stand, like all the things. My mom didn't even make it because I had my baby way too quick. <laughs> oh, so. darn. Man, could have been a car baby. That would have been a story. Oh, my God. <laughs> That, that actually gives me a lot of anxiety because I live somewhere it takes us two hours to get to a hospital I'm like that seriously I'm like that would be awful I promise to... that's not that far though <laughs> I have clients live so far from hospitals but yeah so I don't know how much you want to share on this and if you don't want to go too far into your personal birth stories um that is fine. Um, but I am curious if you do want to share that. Cause I feel like that's a huge part of why you do what you do is because of your experience. And so, yeah, do you want to share a little bit about that or? Yes, of course. I'm very open because I think it helps people. My only thing about sharing, I want to put this out there cause I feel so bad for moms that I feel like all the stories I heard of birth before I had babies, um, were, oh, this happened and this went wrong. Oh, this happened and this went wrong. That's not how it is. I've attended lots of births now and talked with lots of doulas. Most birth is great and it is wonderful. You only hear the bad stories, just like anything else. Like, do you ever hear the good stories about riding horses? Like people will tell you, I went for this ride today and it was wonderful, it was beautiful in the trees. And no, they tell you, my horse bucked me off or I got stepped on. Like you hear the negative and that puts a negative thought process to moms. So that's actually part of my doula work is getting out of that. So I rarely share my story with moms that I'm doulaing till later because they don't need that headspace. But I will tell you, my labors were wonderful. And my complications are like less than 1% of the population has the complications I had. So with that, uh, my first baby, um, I went into labor at like 39 weeks in a few days, very normal, just walking around, started having contractions. I was like, ooh my back kind of hurts. This is weird. And then it, I'm like, gosh, it's like every five minutes, my back hurts. And then my husband's like, can you time it? Sure enough, my contractions were like five minutes apart, but I lived super close to the hospital. And they told me I could wait till they were four minutes apart. And I had a hospital midwife, just so you know, because I know sometimes people don't know that midwives work in a hospital. And I had the same midwife with both of mine. So we went into the hospital um, I had taken classes to labor naturally, and that was my plan, but I wasn't as educated as I probably should have been for that. Now I know I would love to just birth people's babies for them now, like have them and then just hand them over. But um, I did the tub, we bounced on a ball, we did yoga, we went down the hall, all the things, and I just kept progressing and things were great. I got in the tub and then um, I had told them I didn't want any moder monitoring. I wanted everything very natural, but they had agreed to put um, an IV, a saline lock in my hand, but not put an IV in it. That just means, um, so I, I have a syndrome where my veins collapse. So it's really hard to get an IV in me. So they wanted that in place in case they needed to start one, but I didn't want to be tied to a pole. So that's an option. Lots of people don't know that's an option. That's part of being a doula, telling people all these options they don't know about. And so I labored around like that. And then I did allow them to do external monitoring where they just strap something around your belly ever so often just to check on things and then take it back off so you can be free. On one of those checks, they decided to do it in the tub because I was getting more and more uncomfortable and my baby didn't have a heart rate for a period of time. 
at that point it became an emergency we had no idea why and then I started getting very sick which isn't necessarily normal with a natural birth I hadn't had an epidural or any pain medication to make me sick and I couldn't switch positions very well so they put a monitor continuous monitor on the baby and he just kept dropping between 40 and zero beats per minute and at that point I mean we're rural they're calling in doctors the doctor I normally go to was actually in Hawaii so it was a doctor I'd never met come in and they rushed me to the ER uh to the OR sorry and I was natural I had nothing on board and I ended up having him they were trying to um do a c-section but as I told you my veins collapsed and they weren't able to knock me out and give me anesthesia so we were at the point of like when do we cut what do we do so that was becoming very traumatic for me because I had not prepared for a c-section and I thought I was going to have it and fill everything and at that point um he came I just couldn't stop pushing he ended up having the problem with an eight inch umbilical cord to give you an idea they're usually like well over like 30 centimeters I believe anything under 12 is considered short and mine was eight and so what had happened was as he had dropped into my birth canal he had tore the placenta away from me and then he had shared the umbilical cord which was what was dropping his heart rate he is perfectly normal today. He is five years old and he is the smartest. Like he is well exceeding all expectations. I think if I would have had a doula in situation that had helped me beforehand, so let me know like C-sections happen, they're okay. I would have been in a better mindset and had a much better birth. I also didn't know anything about postpartum hemorrhaging and was not expecting all of that. And so it took a lot. At that point, I was in a risk and he was fine and postpartum hemorrhaging and I had a fourth degree tear and it was a first baby. I had no idea what any of that was. Like no one had taught me about all that. I'd taken a little hospital class and did some online little bit of hypnobirthing, but not enough. <laughs> and so I was done. I was like, no more kids. That's it. We're not having no more. That was too traumatic. And then I decided to start the healing process, become a doula. I probably should have had some therapy, but I didn't. And so then I got pregnant again. It was, we did try. We wanted one more. We wanted him to have a sibling and um, very normal again. And then I was so paranoid of my first birth. I was like, what's that happens again? They say the odds of it happening once are so astronomically rare. The odds of it happening twice is even rare. I was like, okay. Well, then I go to my 20-week ultrasound, and I kept asking, can you see the length of the cord? And they're like, we can't measure an umbilical cord on ultrasound. I was like, well, how can you? Let's figure this out. They're like, we can't. There's loops in it. That means it's probably long. Anyway, um, they ended up seeing what's called marginal cord syndrome on him, which means um, your placenta, the umbilical cord should attach perfectly in the center, and mine was off to the side. So I went up to maternal fetal medicine, which is just, we're so rural, we have to go to specialists anytime something happens. So I had to drive about two and a half hours up to Provo. And they um, said it was a very severe case of marginal cord syndrome. So um, it wasn't even attached to my placenta. It was just a bunch of like almost strings from my placenta to the baby. And so uh, my midwife said she's had it before. Like it happens with twins a lot. 
so I could still have the baby in Richfield, which is rural, and uh, it'd be fine. But they weren't expecting a quick labor, <laughs> which was not ideal for that because they just have to be very careful. And so my labor with him, um, I had actually been hunting the night before and killed a deer. We deer hunt down here. We had had a field deer, and so I wasn't even close to going in labor. I felt great. Did that. I had done a wedding the weekend before. We hiked out in Capitol Reef very normal and just one night it was like 1 a.m i guess morning i just had severe back pain i was like "Ooh, this feels just like it did with my first baby and i woke my husband up he's like well let's go straight in because that's what they said i was like well we can shower first so i took like a five minute shower we weren't very smart my husband left and took my older child to his grandparents house which is only down the street from us but he probably should have stayed with me because that baby was coming quick but my contractions just give you an idea. I timed them. I had one contraction, got in the shower, headed to the hospital. They were 30 minutes was from the first to the second. That's They never tell you to even come to the hospital until they're like five minutes apart, especially if you live close. So I get to the hospital. The nurse, I still talk to her to this day because it's a small community. She did not think I was even close at all. And I told her, I need an epidural now. And my husband looked at me because I'm a doula and generally with doula work, it's a lot of natural labor. Sometimes I do lots with epidural, but he knew I'd had one baby naturally. Why would I get an epidural for the second one? I was like, I need it like right this second. And he's like, something's wrong. And I just started walking into the um, labor and delivery room. Didn't even ask the nurse which one. Just walked in there, kicked my shoes off. And she's like, hold on, hold on. I need to check you. We need to call your midwife. And I was already crowning. The baby was born on the bed. We had barely got there. We hadn't even checked in. She didn't even know my name at that point. So he came. Easy birth. It was amazing. I had prepped so well and had done so many exercises and stretches. He, It was a perfect birth. He was super healthy. And then about half an hour later, um, I started hemorrhaging again. And I had what's called placenta accreta, which is when you're placenta grows into your uterus and it intertwines and it's an usually a c-section and a hysterectomy all in one but they didn't know about it so I had to birth my placenta in pieces get scraped if ever anyone's been scraped it's not a fun experience but if they know about it they can handle it and less than one percent of the population has to deal with what I dealt with like even smaller than that so Everything was good. He's healthy. He's a year and a half now. And um, we are finished. My husband has been fixed, which we were done before he came anyway. People are always concerned with, oh, no, I'm sorry you had to make that decision of being done. I was like, no, it, it helped me make a great decision. So we have two boys. We're so happy. Um, every birth I've been on has been beautiful. I mean, especially, I have so many moms that are like, I'm going to get an epidural. It's going to be great. And that is awesome. I help moms with epidurals because we can make baby come quicker, easier, less tearing with an epidural too. And half of them go all the way and have no idea they're in transition and having a baby. And they're like, oh my gosh, I just did that naturally. And I, I didn't even take classes for that. Just being prepared is everything. Just like um, when you're nervous of something, it's usually because you just don't know. You don't know what to expect. And if you don't know what to expect, that's terrifying. 
But if you go in knowing everything and all that you can know, there's just something calming about it and it's not scary at all. So yeah, that's a or big, not a little bit. That's a lot of my story with my two births. Well, and I completely agree with you. You know, education is power. The more you know, the the less scared you are, you know, and the more you're prepared. So a big question that I have for you is as you are a doula now and you help women through their birth process, do you ever have experiences that trigger you? Because, you know, you had kind of mentioned that you maybe should have gone to therapy um, mm-hmm. because of some of the the tough things that happened. Um, so I guess how do you, how have you dealt with that moving forward and how has it been becoming a doula through that? So I have had a couple. I've been on births that I thought, oh my gosh, they're going through the same thing as me. Like, oh, the heart rate's dropping. But now going through the education process and realizing it's actually very normal for the baby's heart rate to drop. Like they're in the birth canal. It's actually okay that they don't breathe for a moment. It will come back. And I think what's been harder for me is I've had moms that a doctor will come in and they'll be like, oh, that heart rate's not good. Let's run you back for a C-section right now. And I have to say, hey, can we take a minute? And then the doctor will step out and like, hey, you have choices. You don't have to go back for a C-section right now. Tell them you want to try a different position for a little while. And then if it gets bad enough, yes, there are times that, that we do have to go back for a C-section. It does happen. It, but we've prepared for that. We know what to expect with a C-section too. I always make my moms prepared for all three, natural, epidural, C-section, because you never know what's going to happen. Birth is unpredictable in that sense. And sometimes you plan a C-section and you end up having a baby naturally. So you better be prepared for natural, even if you don't want it to. But um, I have had a couple births that were leaning toward becoming a little scary. Um, We've had like birth center births where we've had to have um, 911 calls and they've had to come and we've made it through it and it has turned out to actually be okay we just needed those extra hands to make sure everything was okay and in the moment I've been really good because I know what to expect now because of that education I think if I would have tried to just do it without any education I would have never made it through all these births but knowing that education and knowing that everything's going to be okay um, has really helped heal me and help other moms I've never had one that I couldn't help the mom with or be in the room with her. I've never had to step out because I have educated myself and learned what is going on. I've had moms hemorrhage a little bit after, but helping them and empathizing with them and knowing that it's scaring them or what they're going through. It's empowering to me to be able to help them not have what I had and it hasn't. I would say it's killed me for not going to therapy. That's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. I it's almost that. like doulaing is your therapy. <laughs> it is for sure. The classes were intense for opening up. And I, as you can tell, yeah. I'm very open about talking about it. And doula work really helped with that. Well, we well, appreciate it's... you sharing too. Because yeah. it's not easy to share some some hard experiences. So we appreciate it. Yeah. it's oh go ahead I do have just to tie this back to horses a little bit 
I have had a birth. Actually, I have two that deal with horses a little bit. Um, I had a birth that I was actually, I am not a barrel racer by no means, but I decided to take it up for a summer because most horse women decide to try that for a period of time. And I was actually barrel racing one night and I had a client actually in the Salt Lake Valley. I don't normally take clients in the outside of the Richfield area, Sevier County area where we live, but she had done a maternity session with me. She had found me on Facebook and she said she had just a strong pull toward me that I really needed to be at her birth. And I was like, well, you live two and a half hours away and you're having your baby three hours away because she had a birth center she wanted to birth at. And she's like, I just strongly feel we are connected and we need to have you there. And how do you say no to that? I was like, okay. So I actually was getting ready a barrel race. I was like 10 out. It was the million, like the bash they do down here. So there's like hundreds of horses. And I'm like 10 out. And I was like, she messaged me. She's in labor. I was like, oh my gosh, I got a whole horse home. I have got to, like being on call and being a horse girl is hard. <laughs> and I was like, I've got to go feed and do all this stuff before I go. And I was like, do I run? Do I not? Do I run? Do I not? Like, I ended up waiting, running, because I was like, it's going to work out. And it did. I made it to her birth. But yeah, trying to make it to a birth three hours away and putting away horses. And when you're mm -hmm. stressful, horses, they don't act as well. Of course <laughs> not. <laughs> and then we've actually watched the NFR during a birth once. That was a totally new experience for me. And I have pictures of it. <laughs> for those who uh, don't know, what is the NFR? So that's the National Finals Rodeo, and it's televised. And it is very big in the West. It's in Vegas. And this mom and her um, significant other are like, ride or die. <laughs> and <laughs> she is in transition, and we are watching the bulls. And it, I mean, it was a good time. And but it, that's what chilled her. Like some moms would be like, turn that off. I don't want to watch that. But to her, she was like, no, this is like what I would be doing at home. This is calming. And it just made her go from like five centimeters dilated to 10 so quick because she was just watching the NFR. It was no big deal. Yeah. <laughs> so, Horses were her happy place. It was. <laughs> <laughs> That's too funny. So from somebody who doesn't have children and half of the stuff you're saying, I'm like, yeah, I have no idea what you're talking <laughs> about. Um, I've got a few questions, Camry, if you're okay. Yeah. With it. So some of the, like the language and stuff that you use, I'm just curious, because I'm sure we have some listeners who are probably like me and are like, yeah, I have no idea what you're talking about, but that's cool. <laughs> um, so like you talked about like hemorrhaging and, and different things. Like I've never heard about that being like a normal part of the birth process. So I would love to hear like, what exactly is that? Like, what okay. does that look like? How is it normal? <laughs> um, and then, yeah. Yeah. So hemorrhaging is not normal. It's very rare. And it's when you bleed after the baby is born, you should only bleed a small amount. And I think it's over a thousand milliliters, which is like, I wouldn't even know, but like a bigger, they can't see me. I'm showing it on the screen. <laughs> like a bigger cup, you'd get like maybe like a 40 ounce cup. Once you bleed more than that, it's not okay. You're starting to deplete your blood supply. You're going to start getting faint and passing out. And then there's the point of you don't have enough blood. So there's different degrees of hemorrhaging, but it is definitely not normal. I believe I've only had one mom ever hemorrhage and it was pretty minor. 
like helped her through it because she heard that word and she knew it was bleeding out and that's a scary term like that's so scary it's not normal but it was fine mine was severe I did have to receive two units of blood which um one is a lot they only give you blood if you need it and so I did hemorrhage a lot but that's because my placenta tore away from my uterus so I had a big gaping wound inside me so to say if you think of I mean a placenta is like the size of a large dish plate and so that's a big wound inside you to be bleeding out from but hemorrhaging just means bleeding and it's not a good thing but with today's technology it's amazing what they can do and stop and that probably would have been the number one reason moms before hospitals and before birth centers and midwives that knew what they were doing or third world countries, that is one of the bigger reasons for maternal death for moms not making it would have been a hemorrhage. But nowadays, I mean, you probably know this with birthing horses too. Like that would be a big reason a mother horse wouldn't make it would be a hemorrhage later. But nowadays, even with horses, they can stop it. And the maternal death rate's just crazy low, even in the wild world. So yeah, no, that that's very good to know. Um, <laughs> and then I was curious too, cause you were talking about, um, like how a doctor is coming in and it's like, oh my gosh, we got to go get, get a C-section now. Do you feel like, how is your relationship as the doula with the doctors themselves? Like, are they pretty against you being in there? Cause you're pretty much, you know, saying like, you don't have to listen to everything he's saying, right? So I'm just really curious, like how how is that relationship dynamic with you when you go in? I have a very good relationship with the doctors here because we do live rural. And with the births that I've had, I, I know the doctors before I'm there. I know the midwives extremely well. It's never my place to step in and say what's medically okay and not okay. The only thing I ever generally have said to a doctor is, hey, can we just take a minute to breathe and think about it? And I've never had one say, no, let's just take her now. Like, they're always like, yeah, it'll be good. And they don't know what I'm saying behind. <laughs> they're probably going to listen to this. Not, <laughs> they don't know what I say once they're gone. Hey, like, have options. Like, I would never turn to them and say that while the doctor was in the room. I'm very professional about it. But um, I also know where my boundaries are. Um, as a doula, it's not my job to change a doctor's mind and advocate for you directly to them. It's my job to give you the voice. So it's up to you to tell your doctor what you want. It's not my job to do that. Okay, she wants this. I know she told me earlier, that's not what I'm there for. I'm very much almost a fly on the wall. And we've talked about this before and this is what you wanted. Is it still what you want or have you changed your mind? Cause it's okay to change your mind. So that's usually where that conversation leads. And I've never had, I think the worst thing I've had with a healthcare provider was out of town and they just didn't want pictures. That's my biggest hardship is pictures in the medical field are very difficult. They very much do not like me to video. They don't want anything that can be used against them somewhere. They just absolutely do not love documentation. So anytime a new healthcare provider walks in the room, I do ask, hey, are you okay if I take pictures of this procedure? Are you okay if your face is in these pictures? And sometimes the answer is no. And I have to get creative with angles and shots and that's okay like some people don't especially COVID was very difficult with pictures with masks because they have to wear masks and pictures are hard they show exactly what's actually going on in the real world 
Yeah, no, that's very true. I love that, like what you said, like you're you're not there to be the voice, but to help give the voice to the mother. I really like that. Um, like, and just that envision. Cause I think I've talked with, Oh, like a long time ago, somebody was, was a doula. And I remember talking to her and just feeling kind of like, Oh, like nervous about it because the way that she was expressing it was like, Oh, well, if, if you went in and you'd planned on a natural birth and that's what we coached you for, then you're going to get a natural birth. Like, I'm going to make sure that, that happens. And, and like, for me, I'm like, but what if like, I don't want it in the moment? Like, what if I do decide that like, like, Hey, I want an epidural because this sucks. And, and, you know, so I love that, you know, how you give the permission. And that's why we always plan for all three, like, cause there are going to be times natural birth isn't right. Sometimes you're in too much pain. You're too exhausted. Like pain shouldn't be a part of labor. Like that's what I'm there for is to help you learn that pain isn't actually normal in labor. Like it should be discomfort maybe like it's not like laying on the beach but it shouldn't be painful if we're getting to the point that a mom's just miserable we're gonna say hey there are we're in the medical we're in the you know we're in the hospital they have things to take that away you don't have to do this if you don't want to I'm all about choices and that's what you're there for is to encourage and I have moms that have planned c-sections that hire me and we just need to work on like how you're going to recover afterward because you know I'm sure you've dealt with moms that have like diastasis recti if people don't know what that is that's when your abs separate and I had that and there's ways to prevent it things to do beforehand besides just after and yeah there's choices yeah I love that and I love how you've been talking about um like preparing for it and preparing after it and just all the preparedness, you know, because there is the aspect of it's like, it's a big deal to give birth. And I do feel like so many women go in it just like, well, it's supposed to be natural, but there's no prep for it. You know, there's, they have no idea, like you're saying, there's no knowledge. And so then it does become this issue. And then it does really like hurt their bodies and they have a hard time coming back from it. And I, I love that, that your whole job is about like, no, it's okay. Like, let's, let's, let's educate. Let's prepare you for this. Let's help you afterwards as well. Because I do feel like it can be something that is scary for a lot of people. And that's something we've talked quite a bit about on our podcast, as we've talked to other mothers as well as it's like, that is a fear of mine going into it. And a lot of it is because there's so much unknown, you know, and it's been fun getting to pick people's brain like you and be like, oh, okay. Like there is ways around this or, or different ways to think about it even considering just someone that hasn't had a baby considering even the two births I had were probably about as bad as it's gonna get on their birth side of things I would love to have people's babies for them it is the coolest experience I think that's my saddest part about not having more is not having the chance to go through that over and over and over again and I don't know what it is about us mom and I do not love the newborn phase I don't want a newborn for nothing just so you know (laughs) but I love labor and delivery like if I could just do that for people I would love to just have their babies for them and hand them over and say okay your turn (laughs) that is interesting what do you love about labor and delivery because I am definitely in that that neck of the woods where all I ever hear about is the horror stories (laughs) and like how terrible it is and how painful it is so what is it about labor and delivery that you love so much especially you going through it yourself so and I'm sure Camry can attest to this too and anyone that has a spouse or a very close partner going into it with them whether it's a mom or anything 
the change you see in them during labor is, and even your second labor, like I've had two and it was just as cool and it was short. Seeing the change in them is so magical. Those moments in that room, you cannot create anywhere else. Um, it's a very spiritual experience and there's just nothing like it. It's hard to describe, but um, the people in the room, the nurses, everyone, it's just very overwhelmingly beautiful. Even as things maybe aren't going the way you wanted, like just um, that first cry of a baby taking its first breath in a world, like you grew that. That's pretty magical moment. Yeah, it's pretty amazing seeing what your body can do over the course of not just the nine months, but like during the delivery process. And as you get more education on it, because I did hypnobirthing as well on my second child and, and I was so much more well educated on my second child, but just realizing the different phases that your body goes through through labor of like the different jobs that your uterus does and that your cervix does and that all these things are doing in it and the first time around I I couldn't differentiate any of that like it was all a little bit more pain than anything else because I was so tense and I was fighting my own processes whereas with my second labor I was able to I, I remember a moment in labor where I looked at Larry and I was like my uterus just changed jobs. <laughs> I was like, I felt that like that, that I could feel the change in when it was trying to open up my cervix. And then when it was starting to push downward and push the baby out and like just knowing all these different processes and being able to be that in tune with your body and feel all of these things. It's just so amazing and empowering. And yeah, like I, I cried after um, giving birth to my second, cause I knew I was done with kids and I was like, I'm never going to get to do that again because <laughs> like, it is, it's, it's amazing. It's awesome. So. And you talk about the pushing. That's what most moms are scared of is the actual birth. That's when it gets good. Yep. It really is like you're tired from working. It is like running a marathon. Like you're tired after, especially like my first one, like I labored, but it was like, we had fun. That's weird to say, but it was fun. Like we had fun <laughs> during labor but then it was like, oh, I have to push in. A little bit of that fear crept on me because I didn't have the education, but that's the best part. That's actually when it, oh, I got this. I made it. Like, that's the crossing the finish line. Like, the last, you know, 30 feet of a foot race is actually the hardest. But that adrenaline kicks in, and that's when it's good, crossing that finish line and knowing you did it. It's just awesome. Yeah. And there's so many ways for it to be awesome too. And that's what it's like you said, where, you know, planning for all the different situations is a C-section can be just as magical. You know, it doesn't have to be all natural and, and a certain way for it to be that miracle. You know, if you got your baby into this world and your baby is healthy and you are healthy, you won, you know, you did it. You're like, that's amazing. And so, yeah, I, I just like to throw that out there that there's a lot of women that I have that have a little bit of, I guess, a trauma response to feeling disappointed or um, 
feeling like they failed because they had to mm -hmm. have a C-section or because they had to have an epidural or because things didn't go the way they planned. Um, and I really do think that there's so many ways to get a baby into this world in a healthy way. So. No, I love both of those perspectives because it's it's perspectives I don't get to hear a lot because, <laughs> I mean, like you were saying, Jade, when you first get on, it's really easy to get all of, like, the really bad stories and and to just get really nervous about it all because that, that is all you hear, you know, is is all the bad stories <laughs> and, and all the pain and all the screaming and all the, you know, like, all the terrible things. And it's like, why does anyone even do this? I don't get it. Hang out but, with doulas a little bit because it's just one happy story after the next, after the next, after the next. And that's part of um, when I actually got certified was going to a retreat with other women that were becoming doulas. And oh my gosh, all of them had wonderful experiences. I was the only one in the room that was like, this is terrible. This is why I'm here. <laughs> they were all, and I mean, this is like 20 women. They all had good experiences. And part of it was listening to books. Um by different authors that that's all they talk about is all the positive births and some that were before the medical world came in and how normal it was to have a baby at home and it was a good experience it wasn't what you see on tv like that's just what hollywood's created and that's all people share is oh my gosh can you believe this happened to me and this and that and but most experience a very good birth i love that Cameron, yeah, do you have I did. questions? Because I still have a million of them. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I just want to share here too, as the other one of us that has had kids of the three of us here. Um, m both of my births were healthy, good, you know, nothing bad. Everything was well. And tiny little backstory on it: my first kid, it was a seven-hour labor, and I was prepared to go thought I was prepared to go natural I was not prepared enough <laughs> so the first five hours was good the last two hours I was wanting to be knocked unconscious because I was in pain <laughs> and um, then my second I had 24 hours of labor with my second and all of it was pain-free the last 15 minutes was very intense lots of pressure um, and yeah, intensity would be the best word for it. But um, I think that's important to know too for a lot of women that don't know that is like you said earlier, that's kind of what, what brought this up too is it there's it doesn't need to be painful. You know, so much of Hollywood shows it as like pain and screaming and the gnashing of teeth and <laughs> all those things. And it doesn't need to be that way. You know, whether it is by using an epidural or by using the hypnobirthing techniques or by using other techniques, uh, there's lots of ways to get pain relief so that it is a positive, good experience. So yeah, yeah sure. positive births there, just so that our listeners uh, have a little bit of that side of it too. So. <laughs> I love it. Like I said, I've got a billion questions <laughs> since I'm the one who like knows nothing. <laughs> um, now, I know a little bit about this, but I'm sure there's plenty of our listeners who do not because I am friends with Camry, so she has geeked out with me on it. But do you guys want to explain what hypnobirthing is for those people who have never even heard of it before? Camry probably knows more about it than I do. I only know very little. 
So hypnobirthing is, is self-hypnosis. So it's teaching yourself how to get into a state of deep relaxation. Um, so when you get into those states, um, if you're able to control that state and get into that deep relaxation, you can control when your body releases endorphins, which are natural pain relief um, and things like that. So it's just being able to control your mental state as well as the chemical state that goes with the mental state. Um, so yeah, it's it sounds really hokey. The name of it, hypnobirthing, I feel like turns a lot of people off and they're like, what? Like, <laughs> that sounds really hokey. Um, but yeah, it's just deep relaxation. So don't quote me on this, but I am pretty sure the lady that coined the phrase hypnobirthing lives in Provo, Utah, and she calls it the Curtis method. But don't quote me on that. There is a Curtis method and it is hypnobirthing, but I think she's the one that started it. Yeah, I, I couldn't remember if it was the Curtis method that was the first one or the Mongan method, because they were what both, they're fairly similar, um, but with a few differences. So I'm not sure so, which one came uh, first. A good way to imagine hypnobirthing, at least with my moms that do it, is almost just like meditation. Mm -hmm. Being able to go somewhere else, think of other things, um, just getting your mind prepared um, so that it isn't painful. Um, it, it helps you create endorphins in your brain, just like, um, I mean, everyone's been hurt before and like little kids, they see blood and they're like, oh my gosh, it hurts. And they almost create a pain response to it. Whereas as an adult, we're like, oh, that doesn't hurt. It's just small. So I think it's almost just changing your state of mind toward pain a little bit. Yeah. Well, and another cool thing that I loved about learning some of the sciencey end of it when you do get into that uh, relaxation state is the receptors that have like pain receptors. If you have those endorphins coming into those receptors, you can't have both. You can't have the pain and the endorphins. So if the endorphins are filling up that slot, then the pain can't fill that slot I'm not explaining it very well no. but essentially it's you can't have one you can't have both at the same time so if you've got the endorphins then it takes that pain away so agreed cool it is it's an interesting perspective to like hear people talk about how births should not be painful because <laughs> it is not the perspective that I feel like I hear and probably 99% of everybody else hears as well um but I like it's kind of like a hopeful like oh it doesn't okay <laughs> um so my other question for you just to go along the burst and then I kind of want to dig into to a little bit more of your story as well because I know you've got a lot more th other than the doula stuff as well um but you were talking about with your first birth how you were doing yoga and you're walking around and you're doing all this fun stuff and I'm like I've only ever heard of births being like you're in the room you are strapped to something you do have to be on the bed the entire time so can you explain like how is this all an option and do you have to be like somewhere special to do all of this or what does that even look like so I think everything you do before birth is so much more important than what you do in the labor room like um I've had moms, just to give you an idea, you do not have to be a hardcore personal trainer. I actually have moms that do um, oh, CrossFit, couldn't think of that term, 
And CrossFit is great. I am not knocking it by any means. I think any exercise is healthy. Um, but she was so toned that we had to work on a lot of relaxation because those muscles were so tight that that baby could not descend. She ended up having a very long labor because she just really um, struggled to relax the muscles of the pelvic floor. And, um, but then afterward, I mean, she recovered amazing and she pushed that baby out like a boss. <laughs> but, um, so for me, it's strengthening your pelvic floor. That's so you don't pee your pants afterward because, you know, you hear moms, oh, I jump on the tramp or I sneeze and I pee my pants. Um, I do occupational therapy. You should not be peeing your pants when you jump on a tramp. There are pelvic floor therapists that specialize in that. That can stop that. And and um, so for me, I at work. So I work at a desk a lot. You'd think a therapist wouldn't work at a desk a lot. You'd be working with patients, but um, there's so much paperwork. It's ridiculous. So I sat on a therapy ball, like a big yoga ball, for probably four or five hours a day. And um, at my, it would be so a pregnancy is forty weeks typically. And they start checking how far you're dilated at your 38-week appointment. I was six centimeters dilated at my appointment, and I still had two more weeks. And to give you an idea, six centimeters dilated is when I used to show up for photography in the labor room. If I I heard you were six centimeters, I was like, oh, that baby's coming in a couple hours. I'll be there. And I was that two weeks early. And she said it's because you just um, ripened your cervix up so much that it was so soft and ready to have that baby just from working on my pelvic floor and um yoga balls are amazing you probably know this they work on your core stability and it's running a marathon when you're in labor it is exhausting so the better shape you can be in just overall that way it's gonna help you so much like you don't have to go buy a bunch of dvds on I mean, you can if you want to, but you don't have to buy a bunch on how to keep your six pack or, and just to give you an idea, Michaela, because I know you're into a lot of physical fitness. Um, I mean, I was fit before my first kid. I've always been pretty fit. I like to work out. I had never seen a visible six pack before my first baby. It was my goal between baby one and two to have a visible six pack. And it was possible. Even after diastasis recti, I took pictures. I was so excited. Um, because I know that was a huge fear for me was my physique and what I looked like. Uh, I didn't want to get mushy. Um, I gained over 70 pounds with my first baby and a little more than that with my second baby. And it came off. I worked it off. It wasn't as bad as I thought. I struggled with it a little bit. But the better you are going into it, the better you're going to be in it and on the other side of it, for sure. Yeah, I love that perspective. I work with a lot of postpartum women <laughs> with with a lot of this and and it can feel very daunting to them when they when they come out of it just that like I'll never have it back I'll never and it's and we do a lot of work on your body is different let's celebrate the fact that your body is different like look at what your body just did look at how how it just created this human being and why do you feel like it needs to be the way it was before it did this you know, so we work a lot on that, but then also just like you said, your body is amazing and it can 
reach other levels and new levels and it can lose the weight it can look the way that you want it to look it just depends on the work you want to put in so I love that you shared that as well um I do so because I talk a lot so from your perspective especially as an occupational therapist and and everything that you do for a woman preparing for birth like specifically um someone who just found out they're pregnant what would you suggest like just from a very like broad point of view, I guess, on how they could help themselves. Like I know you said like sitting on a yoga ball was super helpful. Um, but how would you say like for them to work on their pelvic floor so they can have an experience like you did? What what would you suggest that they do? So the probably best exercise anyone, you don't even have to be pregnant. The best thing is to do is move, walk. Walking is like so underestimated in this world. Um I usually have my mom's do lots of curb walking, anything that moves your pelvis a lot, which we do very close to birth because it helps move baby down. But I think anytime you're increasing that mobility, so that's where yoga comes in. I am a huge advocate for yoga in pregnancy. And if you start early, you can do it clear up, even in labor. You can do it all the way through your pregnancy. So the reason I highly, highly suggest doing yoga is it strengthens, it helps your endurance, it helps your mobility, it strengthens your pelvic floor. Um, Usually when we think of pelvic floor, we think of kegels. And if you don't know what a kegel is, it's the muscle you use when you stop yourself from peeing. And it is important to strengthen that muscle. But I see moms that that's what they work on a lot. And they don't know how to relax it. They know how to tighten it. They don't know how to relax it. So there's two sides to every exercise, which I'm sure you know, Michaela. You can't just hold it. (laughs) Make sure you know how to relax muscles. And that's where yoga comes in is it helps you control it's all about flow and control, and that's important, especially if you move into hypnobirthing or into natural processes, is being able to have control, and control is empowering. So yoga would be my biggest thing to get into, but movement period, walking, moving. I mean, you can do anything you were doing before. That's doctor's recommendation. Um, there's moms that are running. You can keep running. Um, there's moms that are riding horses. Some healthcare providers allow you to keep riding your horse and um, some don't. Um, so that's something you have to talk about, but just movement in general. Yeah, I love that. And doing it during the delivery process too. Um, knowing that you don't just have to sit in the bed, you have the option to get up. Like I walked the parking lot and I, I was doing curb walks up and down the parking lot during my labor to help it progress. So yeah, the movement beforehand for sure, but also during delivery is very, very helpful. So those that don't know what curb walking is, that's when one foot's on the curb and one foot's off the curb and you just walk down the curb and the higher the curb, the more stretch you get. And it just moves your hips and your pelvic floor. So it's opening that space up. Yeah, thank you for clarifying that. Because <laughs> it's like, yeah, I know what that is. And then I'm thinking, oh, well, we have curb bits. We have like all these other things to talk about too. <laughs> so that's very helpful. Um, no, I agree 100%. That's something I preach all the time. Like, if you do nothing, let's just set a movement goal. Like, <laughs> even if even if there's nothing else, just there's so much power in walking, like you said. And I feel like it's taken for granted a lot. Um, but I, I did want to, if you don't mind, Camry, do you have somewhere else you want to take this? If not, I've got another question. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> I geek out when we have 
people. <laughs> um, but in your, when, when you filled out your, um, your little questionnaire coming into this, you said that you had originally thought about going into hypotherapy and then switched to occupational therapy. So I would love for you to talk about that. Like, tell us, tell the readers what hypotherapy is for those who don't know what it is, but then I would just love to hear like, what made you change your mind on that and, and all those things. So hypotherapy is therapy of horses. Um, really cool. A horse's movement actually mimics the movement of the human pelvis. So different positions on the horse, laying on the horse, actually mimic the and work the same muscles of a person. So for an example, if you have, and it's going to be really hard for me not to use medical terms here. <laughs> um, if you have someone with like low tone, so they're kind of like floppy, a child maybe that had something at birth that made them not have, um, they're not able to stand for some reason, they're developing slow, those muscles to walk aren't developing due to whatever developmental, it could be cerebral palsy. I mean, there's a lot of them. Um, for them, there's certain positions on a horse, which I don't know them all because I didn't go to school for it, but there's different ways you can set a child on a horse that will build those muscles that they weren't able to build on their own. And that's generally what hypotherapy does is um, it's just working with horses to do therapy. So um, as a little girl, I wanted to do something with horses and trainer was not it. I had trained a horse and I was like, nope, I don't want to do that again. <laughs> and um, don't want to be a vet. I don't like picking up their feet. Like <laughs> I want to work with horses, but, and I loved the medical field. I knew I wanted to do something in the medical field. So I was like, oh, I love to do therapy. And then I got a job as a nursing assistant just while I was going to school. And I actually work at the same place now and they needed a therapy assistant. And that's kind of where occupational therapy took me. Those that don't know what occupational therapy is, I do not help people get jobs. It's not what I do. <laughs> it's a lot like physical therapy, except that I look more at the whole person. So if you had a knee replaced, I'm not working on getting just the joint mobilization. I'm figuring out, are you able to walk? Are you able to get dressed? Are you able to do the things you were doing before in your daily life? So things we do in our daily life are called occupations, and that's where the term comes from. So um, you can work with children. I work with um, geriatrics, older adults. Um, so that's kind of, I became an assistant, or not an assistant, an uh, aide. So I was just aiding with that. And then I went up to school and there was a job opening at the National Ability Center in Park City. If you've heard of that, it is an amazing facility. They help anyone with disabilities, like if they've had amputations or a stroke or any disability, kids with autism, they help them do activities of daily life, like skiing, rock climbing, riding horses. So there's a job opening for someone up there. And I was like, oh yeah, here we go. This is going to help me in hypotherapy. And I got up. So you actually had to do a video interview first. And I had never wrote English in my life, low backstory. And I did a, um, we had to do a video of a, they had like a little pattern that said trot, lope, do this on your horse, and then instruct someone else to do it on your horse and video yourself. 
my videos. <laughs> and I was writing Western and I was teaching Western. And then I got a call and they're like, hey, we want you to come. And there was 10 of us that went and we got to interview at the facility, which that was amazing in itself. And we had to draw horses out of a hat that we were going to ride and instruct on and then a skill that we were going to instruct. So um, I got a horse that only had an English saddle that fit him. And instead of telling them I had no idea what I was doing, I was like, I'm confident. <laughs> I'll just let them know what I'm doing. And they also, what the thing I drew out of a hat is diagonal. And I was like, like what are diagonals in my life? <laughs> And I mean, I had rode a lot, but that is not in the Western world. <laughs> and so I was like, finally had to be like, I don't know what a diagonal is. And she's like, that explains your video. You were on the rock diagonal, but you ride so beautifully. And so she explained it to me. I was like, okay, well, I can teach that. <laughs> so I did. I rode this English horse. I felt good about it. I taught what a diagonal was um, to the girl that I was partnered with. And they actually dismissed us as we went along. <laughs> so there was five dismissed and then there was five of us left and they called us all out. And the people, I mean, I, I'm just glad I was standing there. I was like, please don't give me this job at this point. <laughs> but I mean, they showed up. One girl had flown in from back east. She got the job. She should have got the job. She was amazing. <laughs> I never even I didn't even know what do you say it breaches I don't even know what that was I showed up in my cowboy boots I was the only one in Levi's so you know I didn't have a helmet they had to give me a helmet because that just wasn't the world I grew up in but um they called me and were like keep going you're doing awesome and I was like I'm just glad I got to ride one of your cool horses they had Pjord because they're really good therapy horses okay they're amazing I used to think they're funny looking and then I rode one. Yeah, I would love to own one. They're beautiful. <laughs> and then um, as I got looking more, I actually got certified. It's called Path International. It's a certification for hippotherapy and running your own facility. And as I got into that, I just learned there was a lot more to it and the liabilities in running a business with horses. And it just, became very overwhelming and intimidating and I was in school for occupational therapy at this point and um and the the degree I have as an occupational therapy assistant it's two years so it's pretty simple you get paid like what a nurse gets paid good money for how much time into schooling it is and I loved working with geriatrics I had worked with kids with autism a little bit you have to do field work through your schooling so that you kind of learn what you like to work with and don't and I did love working with kids, but it just wasn't where my heart was. And the last thing I wanted to do was work with um, geriatrics until I went to school and tried everything else out. And I learned that was my absolute favorite population to work with was geriatrics. And just the more I got into, I was like, you know what? It's okay that my horses are for pleasure. And if that ever, I thought maybe eventually if my life took me somewhere where I had my own stables and barn, I could always do hippotherapy or teach lessons. And it's cool because I have landed back to where I'm from and um, I do work with kids. I teach 4-H and it's so fun and I love it. And I don't think my life will ever take me into hippotherapy again, but it is definitely a cool 
place to go. And I, I do have all my books still, and it was fun to learn about and certify in. But there was a lot more into it, I think, than I originally realized. I was a young girl with this dream of horses and therapy can be together. <laughs> yeah, it can be intense, especially when you learn about all the liabilities. <laughs> yeah. That stuff's intense, for sure. So really quick, before we really move on, let's explain what a diagonal is for all of those people who have never. <laughs> I still don't know, so don't ask me. <laughs> you don't remember how you taught it, Jade? <laughs> I remember it being like, there's leads and loping and there's diagonals in trotting, and that's about as far as it went. Well, it... I remember talking about up and down with the rail or leg on the rail or something. <laughs> Well, and you're saying lope and not canter. I mean, come on. Oh, see, yeah, I know. You got to change your lingo. (laughs) (laughs) No, I love it. So for those who don't know, who've never ridden English before, don't know the lingo, diagonal. So when you trot, your horse is at a two beat, which means like the left back leg and the right front leg land at the same time and the right back leg and the left front leg land at the same time. So that's your diagonal is when each of those are moving and you go by the front front foot. So right diagonal would be when your front right and your back left are hitting the ground at the same time. Left would be the opposite. So if you're doing the correct diagonal and jump in, Camry, if I get this wrong, if you're doing the correct diagonal, you're on the outside leg, correct? Yes, you rise okay. and fall with Thank the leg you. on the wall. Yeah, it was something with the rail. I thought it was the wall. Yeah, rise and fall with the leg on the wall. Yeah. So, as you're posting, you want to match the the foot that's on the outside of where you're going. So, if you're going to the left, which means you know the arena's on your left side, you're going to be rising with your right leg. So that's what a diagonal is, guys. And breeches, they're pants. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty tight pants, like leggings. But by golly, guys, I have learned they are lifesavers this last month. (laughs) Breeches are there for a reason. (laughs) They have strategically placed seams so that your legs don't get sore. (laughs) Yes, they will save you from lots of bruises (laughs) if you're going long distances. (laughs) Anyways. So I just wanted to make sure we explain that because I'm sure somebody's like, I have no idea what that is either. <laughs> so I have a question for Jade. Do you ever get people that wonder like why you have like horses and occupational therapy and doula and photography and like these supposedly random things? Like, <laughs> Do uh, people ever say no. stuff? mostly not that everything's so different I had never thought about that because I feel like they're all so connected but most people are just like I think most people that know me just know that I thrive (laughs) on being busy I can't sit still if you guys are watching this video I'm like moving like crazy um (laughs) but um I do get people are like why do you do so much especially now that I'm a mom I didn't get as much questions before I became a mom But now that I'm my mom, they're like, oh my gosh, you do so much. And it's just, I never changed my lifestyle because I had kids. They just became part of my lifestyle. Like they're going to be the same way as me because they love doing it all too. They don't like sitting still either. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I haven't really gotten asked that too much, I guess. Just more or less like, why do you do so much? (laughs) Yeah. Why do you do so many things? Well, and I do feel like they are all connected. It's it shows a lot about who you are as a person, I think, because a lot of what you do has to do with you love helping others. You love t- like 
capturing their special moments. You love advocating for people and horses. And yeah, it's, they all have a lot of that element to them, all these, these things that you do. So I think you're a pretty awesome person. Hence why we brought you on. <laughs> sweet. <laughs> yes. Thanks so much for coming on and letting us pick your brain in all of the different areas that you do. It's been so fun. You're like our own Sevier County Wonder Woman. Whatever. <laughs> if only you guys, I just tell everyone about it. If you guys told everyone everything you do, we know. Like, I go to Camry for, I'm like, hey, you have clinics? Sign me up for it all, everything. Anything you know, I want to know. <laughs> oh, awesome. Well, thank you. And Michaela, did you have any other burning questions? Oh my gosh, guys, <laughs> I have all the questions all the time. So I'm going to leave them though, because, because we don't want to keep Jade for forever. But thank you so much for answering all the questions I did have and all of the things. I'm really, really intrigued about the doula stuff now. I'm definitely going to be doing more research because now it just sounds really awesome. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thanks for coming, Jade, and we will talk with our listeners next week. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to The Horsewoman Project. If you have a story to tell, please email us at thehorsewomanproject at gmail.com. Links to both of our websites, social pages, and emails will be added to the show notes, as well as any links that are mentioned or contact information for our guests. Talk to you next week.